0: In today's episode, I speak again with Melanie Bartelme, a global food analyst at Mintel, where she provides insights on global innovation and consumer trends across a number of food categories, including produce, pasta, and grains. At Mintel, Melanie co-created the annual U.S. flavor and ingredient trends, which spotlight the cuisine types and ingredients that are growing on restaurant menus and on grocery shelves. In this conversation, we discuss consumer trust, and how companies build consumer trust through labeling. We also touch on the increased consumer desire for transparency around food sourcing and how this impacts consumer trust of a company. Finally, we talk about where trust fits in consumers' decisions about which products to buy and how rapidly the shopping experience is changing. Melanie is a brilliant analyst and has so much to share with us today. So let's jump right in. Melanie, it's great to have you back. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks again for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. I know in our last conversation, we touched on labeling a little bit, and I want to take a deeper dive into the relationship between labeling and consumer trust. So we all know that consumers, I think they read labels a little bit more now than they perhaps did, you know, years ago. But can you share some examples of how companies use labeling to build the trust of their consumers? Yeah, that's um,
1: that's a really great um, observation that there are these opportunities and I think an expectation that companies will be providing information on their labels because... While we know that consumers are using more uh, when it comes to technology, so maybe being on social media, following food brands, kind of having that additional engagement, um, and even having what we're seeing now, QR codes, really having this moment in time as the phone technology advanced and it no longer required a separate app to do things with, and now in COVID, it really being a lifeline uh, in restaurants and, and everything. Those are great. Those are extra steps that it takes the consumer to do. So the label itself offers this sort of um, white space. I know very limited, depending on the product, but to to provide that information right there for the consumer. So obviously the safety aspects are very important. Understanding that something's been produced responsibly from. Um, in a way, not being adulterated uh, aspect, but also about the sort of proactive communication of things like how you're growing uh, the the wheat to go into the pasta, how you are treating the the cows that um, that you're getting the milk from. All of this is something that's really been kind of building from a consumer expectation that they will find not just the nutritional information on the label, but those extras that are going to really help convince them to maybe even sometimes pay a little bit more for one brand over another um, based on what it is that the company is able to really show into their processes.
0: Would you agree that consumers are responding well to this technology and being able to read the the label and maybe use those QR codes? Have you seen... um, an increased amount of consumers that are actually using it?
1: That is something I am very curious about because it's been such a new phenomenon. I'm not sure that we've sort of captured that data, that consumer attitude and, and behavior yet. But mm-hmm. I I do feel that this experience of getting used to doing it, whether it's you know in the restaurant or seeing something on a package, I think that this is now a behavior that we're used to. So I think Mm -hmm. that there is a lot of opportunity. And what I have found to be so um, amazing and really interesting to watch is that QR codes are showing up in places that I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect. So I've noticed I was at a baseball game and there was somebody walking around with a sign for the 50-50 raffle and you could scan your QR code. They were all the way across the field and you got it. They're showing QR Um, codes on TV. Um, I think it was Skittles did one on a billboard. And so you're just driving, you can scan that code. So it's no longer even that If you wanna provide this extra information as a brand, you have to fit it somewhere on your label. You can extend that out into the real world and maybe even make it uh, feel like an experience, giving them something a little bit more uh, a bonus. They're unlocking an Easter egg or something. But um, I do think that it's going to be a little bit more on the younger side, the people who are already more engaged with their phones. Um, We do have some, some reports talking about you know how some older consumers are still um, not quite sure. uh, you know, into the the mobile ordering and and things that come along with that. But i I do think that there is a lot of potential for this, even more so than when we first started talking about this as an opportunity.
0: yes, i I would agree. I know that you're an expert in food trends. so I have to ask, is trust really a trend right now? Are consumers, really concerned about trust right now and making sure what they're buying is meeting their expectations. I,
1: I definitely think we uh, are one of our associate directors, Jenny Zegler, who is um, our leader in creating our food trends over the years. She mm-hmm. uh, has this great saying about some of these these things that we've been tracing that sometimes we see things that are no longer a trend, they're a truth. And mm-hmm. so this is absolutely something that has, I think, become established as a truth that it isn't it isn't about necessarily um, that consumers are suspicious that they're using um, the the idea of trust or this communication to try to prevent something nefarious happening the way that, you know, maybe you know way back before the FDA, things like, uh, adulteration and things like that. I, I think we're seeing this sort of shift from really focusing around the safety aspect, which obviously is very important. That's, that's at the end of, of the day, consumers have to know the food is safe. But I think we're seeing the communication and the the definition of trust being more about the brand ethics and what it is that the the company is is doing out there in the world. So for example, if we just kind of trace through when we launched our global food trends in 2016, that was one of the first trends that we highlighted was called based on a true story. So it was even back then talking about how consumers are interested in learning, as we said, the truth behind a product's origin, inspiration or ingredients. So getting that little extra information Then in 2018, the trend evolved into something we called full disclosure. So this was consumers demanding complete and total transparency. So it was going more from like a curiosity to no, we need and we expect you to provide this information. And then in our 2030 Mm -hmm. trends, which we launched in 2020, uh, we talked about this idea of change incorporated. So the responsibility and the opportunity that companies have um, to not just provide the truth about what they're doing, but to actually make a meaningful change through their actions and leave a positive impact on the world around them. So this is really, its the trust is about not just that the company's doing the right thing, but that they're doing it when nobody's watching, they're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Um, 87% of US consumers said that companies should always do the right thing, even if it isn't required by law. So I think we're really seeing that shift from um, we want to make sure that the company that's operating out there is kind of doing the right thing to saying, no, this is this is what you have to do, and we are, we are expecting this in the day-to-day.
0: Do you think that smaller companies have greater challenges with technology versus some of the larger companies that can provide the labels with the QR codes? Are you seeing a difference uh, between the size of a company and what they can deliver as far as technology goes? That's a great
1: question, and I think that the technology might be sort of leveraged in different ways by the different size companies, because yes, I do think that bigger companies have bigger budgets and more opportunity to have a a very expansive um, site that they can link to, to have um, a dedicated social media person to be taking care of this. Um, And we did see in the pandemic that consumers were really associating larger brands, big food with being able to provide that trust because it was about tradition and what they were, um, they were really poised to take advantage of that. But I do think that for a smaller company, especially for um, some of the startups that are mission-based, they're very passionate. And so they are using every platform that they have to their disposal. So I think in that way, they're able to provide trust in the form of a um, a, a more intimate relationship with the consumer. So even though they might not have the same uh, tech savvy, I guess, to, to have maybe, maybe some of these flashier uh, mm-hmm. technology you know, implements, I think it's about being able to have that up close and personal relationship that can also provide trust. So I think whatever size the company, there, there are opportunities for sure.
0: I think it's uh, good to see this transition and that all companies are really trying to deliver products and um, the promises that they're making in order to have that trust. And I know in the Mintel 2021 food and drink report, um, it mentioned the idea of functional ingredients, right? So claims that people can have relax and focus and de stress. Uh, my question is how do you think consumers view those trends? and in what products do they promise to deliver and how do regulators um, make sure that those claims are meeting the um, expectations of the consumer? Uh, I think that
1: this idea of these functional ingredients really delivering on some of what we're seeking from, from our food and drink, it's, it is really important right now because I think we've, we've mentioned before that you know COVID really did a number on us mentally and physically. And so that has, I think, driven some interest in these products. Uh, we have a stat here that 42% of US consumers say they'd like their food and drink to contribute to both mm-hmm. their mental and their physical health. But I think that we're going to see some of the implementation of these ingredients kind of come in mm-hmm. stages. Um, we're kind of emerging uh, from from in some places from the pandemic and um, kind of getting back out there, maybe feeling a little bit more willing to spend on things, but being able to really demonstrate the efficacy and the proof that these ingredients are are having an effect. I think that is going to be important for mm-hmm. consumers because there is still a lot of unfamiliarity around things like adaptogens and some of these, these mushrooms. They're, they're definitely out there and we're seeing a lot of chatter, but it's, it's not necessarily that consumers are 100% sure what they do. Um, how it's gonna work, uh, and we do see consumers wanting to have that, that proof. So 27% of consumers say they only trust functional ingredients backed by science. So I think in that way, there's really an opportunity to use the technology, to use something like QR codes, um, your websites, your social media, to really demonstrate um, that, that this is an ingredient that can work. And there is the regulatory aspect. You can't make claims that um, are not approved mm-hmm. to be true, but to really, to show consumers that um, it's, it's worth, sometimes even having this placebo effect, honestly, to, when I drink tea, even if it's caffeinated, I feel somehow like I'm doing something better for myself than than coffee. Even though it's caffeinated, I'm maybe drinking more tea. But um, I think that we are seeing a lot of companies really communicating the message of self care, and there's there's no regulatory uh, restrictions around telling consumers to really prioritize themselves. So that's definitely a win for me.
0: And I think when customers or consumers purchase any product, there are a lot of variables they consider, whether it's the quality of the ingredients, the cost, the popular trends, or just the fear of missing out. And they may see something on social media and want to try it out. So where do you think consumer trust lives in their decision about which product to purchase?
1: I think that the trust aspect is kind of present through throughout the decision-making process, honestly, Mm -hmm. because when we look at the top considerations that consumers tell us that they have for their food and drink uh, purchase decisions, it always comes back in in some ratio uh, over the years to affordability and taste. So affordability, to me, that's showing that is this a good value? Are you as a company showcasing why it is that you should be buying this product, whatever the price point, um, to have consumers make that, take that risk to say, this this coffee I buy is fine, but the coffee that is traceable, that um, protects orangutan habitats, or in some way uh, has a positive impact on the farmers who grow it, um, showing that can build that trust and make that product feel like this is affordable to me based on my values. Um, the taste aspect, I think that's really where we have to make sure that for all the benefits that we can say a product provides, for all of the the ethics, um, to have the consumer come back time after time to the product, it has to still taste good. So, of course, I've I've seen you know so many of these different kinds of of products, really intended for specific diets like keto or or you know vegan products, but we do know that the actual percentages of consumers who claim to follow these diets it's still very low. So just 9% of consumers say they follow a specialty diet. And even though we're talking a ton about flexitarianism, only 14% say that they follow that. So just making sure that in in terms of trust you're giving a consumer more than just maybe one of these trend points one of these you know as you said the fomo moments of of uh, everybody else is doing it shouldn't i right. but really using your platform and your technology to show the overall Um, reason why consumers should continue to engage with the products, and definitely highlighting that they can trust that the product's going to taste
0: great. You raise a good point about specialty diets and what we see on the label. It's very familiar now to see vegan, gluten-free, and maybe some other claims that we see on, on labels and how that language is evolving. So an average consumer going to the store, looking at the products they have to choose from... And picking what they want, right, making the best decision that they can. Do you think consumers understand um, those that language or the claims that that are on package? I always worry about this. <laughs> I remember talking to a
1: food scientist uh, a long time ago, gosh, years ago who was very concerned about all of the gluten-free claims that she was seeing on things that never would contain gluten, including water. So I feel in some ways that we are starting to see uh, that kind of washing down of even something like plant-based right now. Right. Every (laughs) Vegetables are plant-based, we we don't always see it on there. seeing plant-based pasta i mean i i cover pasta so i'm very <laughs> very passionate about this and and wheat is a plant right how do mm-hmm. we draw the line here so i think that as consumers become more familiar with different claims and just like we have seen with things like gluten-free they start to maybe criticize and scrutinize uh, those claims a little bit more so i would just urge companies to really consider that on a crowded label even if your product meets all of these uh, all of these claims, is that really the most important thing to include on PAC? Or should you be taking some of that space to explain what, what separates your plant-based product from another plant-based product? Um, how how it is that you're dealing with your supply chain and all the good that you're doing in you know caring for those essential workers.
0: And to add to that, I think also, um, when you think about sourcing, so where does the product come from, the ingredients? Um, I've seen a lot of, of interest uh, personally and uh, around work at different conferences where You know, it's really important for consumers to know where their product is being produced and how it's being produced. And um, I think through the use of technology and those QR codes, as you mentioned, through labeling, that will just help give more transparency to consumers to understand, you know, where their product or what they're consuming and where that where that's coming from. So is that also a trend? the sourcing of ingredients? Is that something that you've seen where consumers are really concerned about that? Yeah,
1: we are seeing more interest and more attention being paid to things like ethical sourcing, Mm -hmm. um, humane treatment of animals, humane treatment of people in the supply chain, things like that. And I think that's also interrelated to when we talk about sourcing and where, where our food comes from and how it's produced. I will say that And the last time that we asked this question, 49% of U.S. consumers say they usually read nutrition panels. Now, I will say that's not the same as looking at the label overall. We didn't ask that question. So I'd be interested to know um, if that goes up kind of reading all that text. But I think that for the consumers who really care about their sourcing, who really care about the issues, that's where it's important to provide the information, to provide the QR code, to give them that extra information. Not everybody's gonna scan a QR code, not everybody's gonna follow you on social media, but for the people who do, it's really going to reinforce that they're doing the right thing, that it's worth yep. it to um, to pay a little bit extra or and just choose this product over another. And I will say that for me personally, I have been following a lot of what uh, Lando Lakes has been doing with communicating, uh, kind of all of the investment in their supply chains. They've really been advocates for providing uh, rural internet access so that the farmers in their cooperative can really uh, take advantage of the technology that's available for farmers, which they can't do if they don't have internet, right? And the carbon marketplace that they're, they've created so. For me now, when I see all of this information and I'm at the store, I'm going to pick the Land O'Lakes butter because I feel like it's worth it to me because they've shown me what they're doing with that extra money Mm -hmm. maybe that I'm uh, paying versus a private label store brand butter. So I think for the consumers that these messages really resonate with, that could be that tipping point to really drive one purchase decision over another, but it's not going to be everybody. But it could be your really dedicated, um, really passionate uh, brand advocates that are that are willing to do this.
0: I agree. I think that type of messaging goes a long way, and I'm in the same vein as you when it comes to that. And I think it means a lot. I like seeing transparency from companies, so I'm glad to hear you share that as well. So, Melanie, for my last question, what is an upcoming trend uh, that is particularly interesting to you?
1: So one of my favorite uh, parts of the trends that we put together this year has to do with this idea of um, identity and community. So it's something that feels a little bit more abstract when we're talking about food and drink, CPG Production, but I've seen so many wonderful examples out there of how different brands are partnering with each other to provide consumers with um, some of those opportunities for outlets that they haven't had because of COVID, or like Starbucks Mm -hmm. has done with Headspace, creating this opportunity for. meditating while you're drinking your coffee so habit stacking you know making the most of your time so uh this was definitely something that we've spent a lot of time researching and something that i could talk about forever so um maybe we'll have that opportunity someday (laughs) i hope so yeah
0: well i want to thank you for joining us today um always very insightful to get your input i thought it was a great conversation and i um, always enjoy speaking with you melanie and I hope that you'll come back again.
1: I would love to and same. Thanks again for having me and I hope to do this again soon.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation. For more information about Melanie's work and to access the Mintel report mentioned in the episode, visit the links in the show notes and on our website. Make sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. The CPG Innovation Podcast is presented by Celerant. I'm your host, Susanna Tripologis. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.